Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to a very special Thanksgiving episode of Tomb of Ideas. I know most of you are social distancing this holiday, so I am very flattered that you've chosen to spend this day of togetherness and thankfulness with us. And here in the tomb, we've got a full spread. We've got the dressing over here. We've got... um, the uh, yams over here, and I have made this massive turkey here. Okay, I say wait, I've wait. made... Go ahead. What? J- James. Yeah? Where'd you get a turkey? It's not actually a turkey per se. It's actually made of paper mache. I used some old Ghost Rider issues that we'd already covered on the show. I figured, you know, they were already turkeys. Oh... We're gonna we're gonna get so much hate mail for that. At least we'll get mail. <laughs> so uh, yeah, welcome to another exciting episode of Tomb of Ideas. Uh, my name is James Hickson. I'm Trey Lawson. And on this episode, we are covering Monsters Unleashed number six, featuring the Frankenstein monster, the Frankenstein monster, and Werewolf by Night. As well as Werewolf by Night number 18, featuring Werewolf by Night. That's right. So we've got a, a double dose of Jack Russell. Not just that, we've got a double dose of werewolves, as we'll see later in the show. Yeah, so uh, it's good stuff. Um, but first, before we get to the comics, we should take at least a few minutes to uh, discuss what is still, despite the first season's release... The hottest segment in comics podcasting. You know it, you love it. We're talking about Hellstrom Watch. <laughs> Which I haven't done since we watched the pilot that time because I really couldn't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I will I will watch more Hellstrom Watch if and when our fans demand it. Oh, oh, now they're, damn it, Trey, now they're going to demand it. <laughs> <laughs> and by demand it, I mean pay us to do it. Oh, well, I mean, I still get people asking where we're going to watch Venom, so... Fair. I haven't... I've never seen it. Still haven't. Me neither. <laughs> I, I, I um, can't... Mm. Yeah, yeah. But but I guess we... You know, I feel like maybe I should before the sequel comes out. Oh, what's the sequel called again? Um, it, it's... it's uh, let's see, it's Venom 2. Oh, oh yeah. Let There Be Carnage. <sighs> you get that one. Because it's a holiday. You get that one. I, I, I have that one. I, I, I am thankful for that. <laughs> Where's a goddamn pie? Uh, <laughs> wait, we have pie? No. What's it made out of? I have pie. Oh. Anyway, uh, looking at uh, recent news for the MCU and related properties, uh, there's not a whole lot new since the last time we, we went over things. Um, so first off... Thor Love and Thunder is still coming together, and the most recent news on it is that, and this isn't necessarily surprising, but Chris Pratt has officially joined the cast as Star-Lord. And I think they have, don't they have Christian Bale as the villain in that one? 
Yeah, Christian Bale is an undisclosed uh, villain of some sort. We don't know who yet, but but he's uh, he's in it. And now we've got uh, Star Lord, which again, the last time we saw Thor, he was with the Guardians. So it, it would make sense to see Star Lord show up in some way. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, like I think off 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 the air, you kind of speculated. What if like Christian Bale is playing Hercules? I, I did suggest that. Yeah, uh, but but like with the personality flipped so because thor thor is basically marvel's hercules yeah. the the way hemsworth plays him now so so i want like a super serious and like grim dark hercules that just does not fit in with the tone of the rest of the movie oh yeah totally that <laughs> grim dark hercules <laughs> Dang. i mean right i mean that 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 actually competes with double werewolves for for episode titles, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but we don't have any word on how Star-Lord figures into the plot. Like I say, I figure he's at least in the first act because that's where we left Thor, was with Star-Lord. That makes sense. But, uh, and, and I figure at some point early in the movie, he will go off again in search of the plot for Guardians 3. Hmm. Oh, I'm so looking forward to Guardians 3. I'm actually looking forward to Suicide Squad 2. Is that weird? No, no. Suicide Squad... uh, Excuse me. The Suicide Squad. Is that just what's called The Suicide Uh, Squad? It is, yes. Uh, Actually looks looks like a lot of fun. um, Partly because, like, a solid third of the cast are people from other James Gunn movies. (laughs) Is David Fillion in it? He is. Okay. Uh, He is... uh, Probably, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, the the uh, Legion of Substitute Heroes, uh, Arm Fall Off Boy, or whatever. Really? They're bringing Legion people into this movie? Uh, yeah. Wow. That one, yeah. <laughs> that, that's uh, just crazy. Um, because, so Arm Fall, yeah, Arm Fall Off Boy, I, I remember the name right. Because, which I guess he got renamed as Splitter at some point post-crisis. Uh... But, yeah, so, officially, Nathan Fillion's character has not been given a name. Um, He's only been listed in, like, announcements and trailers and things as TDK. Um, But uh, everyone is sort of assuming that TDK stands for the Dismemberment Kid. Interesting. Uh, And because his insignia is a pair of detached arms. So... (laughs) But yeah, the, and the rest of the cast of Suicide Squad. It, Suicide Squad is not a uh, a Marvel movie, but it is coming uh, fairly soon, uh, August of next year. And the cast is stacked. I mean, uh, you've got Margot Robbie coming back as Harley Quinn, um, Idris Elba as Bloodsport, the uh, s- sort of I would say C list Superman villain from the Burn era. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, John Cena as Peacemaker. The Charlton character. Haven't seen him in any trailers, but uh, it should be exciting. Who, uh, who is uh, being described as a douchey Captain America. <laughs> and he, uh, and he's, he's already getting a spinoff series. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, in, uh, James Gunn, in quarantine, wrote a whole season of Peacemaker for HBO Max. Nice. So, and then in terms of, in terms of Marvel people, uh, it's got uh, Michael Rooker as a savant it's got uh sean gunn as weasel 
Um, so it's got some interesting people in it. And of course, uh, former Doctor Who actor Peter Cabaldi is the thinker. Which I've seen a picture of him in that, and he looks weird, which is good. Well, it, him, him with basically no hair is, is an interesting look. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but anyway, going back to Marvel Universe news. Oh, oh, oh uh, are we a Marvel other, horror podcast? Something like that. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, the only other big news to drop recently is that we have an official premiere date for WandaVision, uh, which is going to drop on Disney+. Plus. Uh, January 15th, 2021. I'm upset Which officially makes tw- It officially makes 2020 the year of no MCU movies. The year without Marvels. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so technically we can't say that because I'm pretty sure that the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. aired this year. But Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't in canon. Right, but I mean, so year without MCU, but like we've had Marvel. There there was a Marvel thing. And also Elstrom came out. You guys can't see the skeptical look I'm giving uh Trey right now. <laughs> but it's just say there are there are Marvel adaptations that have come out. It's super skeptical. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, where that leaves us as far as Disney Plus stuff, WandaVision is premiering first in January. Sometime after that, Falcon and Winter Soldier will be next. It's listed for early twenty twenty one. Um, Loki is also listed early 2021, um, so I guess that means sometime between January and March. That's what I would expect from early, mm-hmm. but who knows. Um, what If is listed as mid-2021, so I guess maybe a summer release. Uh, Hawkeye, which I guess is still happening, is on the calendar for sometime in 2022. Um, Ms. Marvel is also set for 2022. And uh, Moon Knight and She-Hulk are both stuck in limbo with a to-be-announced premiere date. <sighs> I'm just... I want some freaking Marvel content. And yeah. I was like, okay, at least at least we've got, we've got WandaVision coming in to save 2020. And <laughs> it, the gods said no. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a couple neat things that I read about uh, WandaVision, though, recently. I didn't put them in the Hellstrom Watch notes because they're not really, like news news but they're just sort of production information i thought was cool apparently the first season of wandavision which i guess must be the one that's in the style of like a, a 50s sitcom mm-hmm. um they actually filmed that first episode in front of a live audience multi-camera style oh that's cool oh i'm looking forward to oh, I'm looking, I'm so look it looks so uh, good it sounds so good trey and and apparently um at some point during Last year's uh, D23 Expo, the big Disney Expo convention thing, um, one of the people involved, uh, oh, the series director on WandaVision had lunch with Dick Van Dyke and got his input on, like, nailing the aesthetic of that era of sitcoms. Well, their kitchen from the trailer is the kitchen from the Dick Van Dyke show. Right, right. But apparently they did, like, take that opportunity to consult with Dick Van Dyke and, and... like, ask him about yes. sort of what about that era, uh, like, sort of made those sitcoms feel the way they did. One of my favorite shows of all time, The Dick Van Dyke Show. Just Oh, it's classic. Oh, the writing on the show is so good. Um, also, they shot uh, part of One Division on uh, the Warner Brothers Ranch, uh, a section of it called Blondie Street, um, which is where the houses for... 
Bewitched, Father Knows Best, stuff like that, were all. Chef's Kiss. Mwah, perfect. <laughs> for, I mean, for a kid who, you know, grew up on ancient 1960s sitcoms, that is Well, I mean, just, Nick at Night, Yeah, right? Nick at Night every night. Good TV for your appetite. I, I, <laughs> those slogans are <laughs> melted to my brain. Like right, like it was, it was like Pavlovian reflex. Like I just said it, and you responded with a tagline. <laughs> oh, like but, seriously, but yeah. I would stay up to like one o'clock in the morning on a school night watching Nick at Night. It was not. Oh, for sure. Morning. And oh, and and when they started doing like Adventures of Superman and stuff. Yes. Like the George Reeves Superman. Yes. That was the good stuff. Oh man, like you can get like. George Superman in there, and you got, like, Dick Van Dyke show in there, and... And Bewitched. Like, occasionally, they draw something wild, like Twilight, the Twilight Zone episode in there. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, it was, like... Good stuff. It really was. So, so yeah, like, the, the part of me that grew up watching reruns of those old uh, sitcoms and, and, like, old TV shows in general, I'm really excited to see what they do playing with the medium of television and the genres that that they're playing with, um, division could be really cool. Because a lot of times what people do when they try to replicate that old aesthetic is they go to camp with it. Right. The, the, the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah. Or they go, they just like watch an episode of Leave it to Beaver and like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, people actually did interesting things with television even back then. And that's, uh, so what the, the series director says is he, he, he says that the Dick Van Dyke show was very broad, and it was very silly, and it had lots of physical comedy gags, but it never feels false or cynical or like it's laughing at the characters. Exactly. And, and so, he asked, so he asked Dick Van Dyke how they pulled that off, and his answer was, well, you just made sure that everything was rooted in like the real world, but if it, if it couldn't happen in real life, then you didn't do it on the show. Like, so you didn't go over the top with the scenarios. Exactly. Like, you know, God bless Lucy Ball. Love, I love I Love Lucy. But there's no way Lucy wouldn't end up in prison for half the stuff she did on that show. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's over the top, and it's funny. But it's not believable. The thing that mm-hmm. the Dick Van Dyke show had, um, I feel, is that uh, the char- all the characters were believable characters. You could see, okay, this could actually happen in, in the real world. You know, somebody like Alan Brady was an over-the-top character, but mm-hmm. we all know that guy. We all know that right. boss who's just, like, so full of himself. Mm-hmm. So, just, oh. And, so and also, I mean, the what what they didn't talk about in that conversation is that the secret weapon of the Dick Van Dyke show was Carl Reiner. Yes. Um who was just brilliant and and like his comic sensibilities are just infused throughout that show. Mhm. Uh, as as much as Dick Van Dyke's are. Just such so good. Very good stuff. But anyway, um long story short, uh WandaVision it's coming but we're not going to get it till January. I I'm still excited. I'm I'm still yeah, excited. No, that's, just... That is close enough that that it is worth being excited for. Yes, I agree. Ooh. Yep. Um, and I think that pretty much wraps up, uh, for, for considering what we've had lately, a fairly short Hellstrom watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, that means we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be right back with our coverage of Monsters Unleashed, 
number six. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on a mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. It's very, very scary. Don't come any closer, do you hear me? Very, very scary. Going somewhere, ladies. Very, very scary. All that's missing now is Vincent Price. Thank you. You are most charming. The night before Halloween, Nick at Night presents four episodes of classic thrills, classic chills, classic TV. Nick at Night is very, very scary. Tonight, starting at 10, 9 central, only on Nick at Night. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first comic for today is Monsters Unleashed number 6. Cover date is June 1974. Um, Our first story in this magazine is the latest installment of Frankenstein 1974, titled Once a Monster, Always a Monster, Part 2. The writer is Doug Munch. Uh, Artist is Val Merrick. The editor is Roy Thomas. Brilliant neurosurgeon Derek McDowell drowned in the East River three nights ago, rises from the water as a grotesque walking corpse. He kills a drunk on the docks, mistaking him for a Dr. Owen Wallach, the man who killed him. Realizing his mistake too late, McDowell reflects that Wallach's body no longer exists and that his mind resides in the body of Frankenstein's monster. Meanwhile, Frankenstein's monster finds itself comforted by the grime and vermin of a dark, garbage-filled alleyway. Because its mind is no longer that of Dr. Wallach, but, thanks to the experiment last issue, is in fact the mind of a common lab rat. Feeling the strength of its new body, the Frankenmouse realizes it could have the power to conquer. The zombified McDowell reaches the lab he once shared with Wallach. He finds Wallach's final victim, the circus performer from last issue, and uses the still-working machinery to transfer his own mind into the victim's less disfigured body. Loading a tranquilizer rifle, he goes on the hunt for the monster. Elsewhere in the city, the Frankenmouse walks the street, terrifying everyone it encounters. Two policemen open fire, to no effect, and the monster retaliates by destroying their car. The chaos draws the attention of McDowell, who targets the monster from a rooftop and downs him with a single shot. He drags the monster back to Wallach's lab and connects him to the machine, intent on destroying what remains of Wallach. However, 
he is shocked to find that according to the machine, the monster's brain could not possibly belong to Wallach. As he tries to figure out where he went wrong, the monster breaks free and slams McDowell into a wall, killing him for the second time in a week. The circus performer, now inhabiting the zombified body of McDowell, wakes up and recognizes the monster, while far away, a mysterious stranger watches the proceedings and muses about how well the forces of science and sorcery work together. He reveals that McDowell was resurrected through voodoo, not for revenge, but to set plans in motion that would return Frankenstein's monster's brain to its body to serve the purposes of the mysterious stranger. I think Frankenmouse is another contender for our episode title. <laughs> Frankenmouse and the double werewolves? <laughs> Oh, I might. Yeah, I might do that. <laughs> I feel like people are. I feel like people would think we're doing a commentary on, um, like the Disney Company or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> but what? What do the double werewolves symbolize? I wonder. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just. <laughs> so this is this is weird. Like this story is weird. Yeah. Um, and part of why it's weird is. We've basically had one ongoing, unbroken narrative with the Frankenstein monster from Monsters Unleashed number two all the way up to number six. Like, they've not ended the story and started a new one at any point during that. Like, they keep giving it new titles, but we've it's all been one story, and they're not giving any recaps. No. Like, I had completely forgotten that there was a mouse in the Frankenstein monster's head now. <laughs> That was the one thing I remembered from last time. I had forgotten about the circus performer. <laughs> See, I thought the circus performer was dead. But apparently his body is well enough to put somebody else's brain in it. Right. I think, yeah, I don't know. That's we I guess he was just like sitting there the whole time, like strapped to the machine. Because even like in what little recap we get, it looks like the Frankenstein monster is crushing the body. Right, right. But apparently... Um, He's well enough to transfer a brain into, so okay. Although, yeah, we do get we do get these flashbacks throughout the issue. Yeah, so there there are those. Which thank goodness those um, don't be completely lost. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think the body was fine. It was just that, uh, like the mouse crawled onto the the helmet part of the machine. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's full on, you know, the fly is basically what they did. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird. It's I guess what's weird to me is that this is not a Frankenstein's monster story. No. And it never has been, really. No, and, I mean, like, I we finally get the Frankenstein monster's brain back in the body this issue. Right. But he's not the monster we've come to know in Marvel's Frankenstein monster. The monster of Frankenstein right. or whatever. Whatever we're calling that co- that book this week. Right. It does seem to change titles regularly. So, I'm not seeing much point it it's a weird story it's it's weird also just in that like in his solo book the monster drives the narrative yes like he is the main character his decisions on where to go and what to do or what propel the narrative yes whereas here that's not what happens the the monster is like a side character in his own story he he's barely a character he's a plot device he's the catalyst for all the things that are happening in the story, yeah. he's filling a role very similar to the role Man Thing fills mm-hmm. in his book. 
Yeah, especially especially in the early man thing stuff, mm-hmm. like the the pre Gerber man thing. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I am curious where they go with uh, this mysterious uh, person watching on the view screen. Apparently, we're doing voodoo, which I think Brother Voodoo is coming to Tales of the Zombies, so I don't think he's going to get involved. Right? No. Um, and so I was trying to see if. There was any indication of where we're headed here, but I'm also not. I'm trying to sort of avoid spoilers, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just I I'm curious who that character is and what their end game is, but I'm also just not crazy about this depiction of the Frankenstein's monster. So I I feel very conflicted about this story. Yeah, it's. I feel like it'll fit into the continuity somewhere. Yeah, I, I think so too. I and I feel like there will be an explanation for where the monster's personality has gone. Mm-hmm. Whether it's from having been comatose for however many years or whatever. Like, I feel like at some point we will get some sort of explanation. Hopefully. Um, although, it's not like there are that many issues left of either this title or his solo book. So, who knows? This is true. Uh, I do like the, the Valmeric art. Yes. it's It definitely does the job here. Yeah, and the the zombie is a cool design that's distinct from Simon Garth, but still recognizably a zombie. Yes, I, I actually kind of like the zombie's design a little bit better than Simon Garth's design. I mean, it, it's a cool. It, I I can tell that some thought went into the fact that this is a zombie that was resurrected after it had been underwater for three days. Yes, so he's got that kind of bloated, bulging, misshapen look, which is. Which is cool and gruesome. The poor acrobat. Yeah, he can't catch a break. He really can't. He gets kidnapped last issue after watching his girlfriend slash possibly wife or sister die. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, gets gets his brain swapped around, left for dead. Yep. Now he wakes up again inside a zombie's body approaching death. Or does he die yep. here? Um, I don't think he does. I think he's still just on the table. That's horrific. Although, I don't know. It, it is unclear. Like, his his dialogue trails off, suggesting that maybe he either dies or slips into unconsciousness or something, but it's not explicit. They don't say. Oh, that would be horrible. Yep. Ooh. Yep. But we are promised, in, in the, the closing caption, next, a shockingly new direction for the Frankenstein 1974 series. If it's voodoo, I'm not that shocked. Because <laughs> they already said that. Yeah, it's like <laughs> <laughs> they spent the last two panels talking about it. Yeah, and you and believe it or not, guys, you've used voodoo quite a bit lately. So yeah, like that. That's a, that's there are two whole comics out there that are very much about voodoo. <laughs> yes. So if if your shocking new direction is voodoo, I'm I'm not that shocked. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's. I don't have much else to say about this one other than just it was fine. It was I guess it was about as good as the last installment. Yeah. Looked good. Um we can compare John Basema's yeah. artwork to um Val Myrick's. But Yeah. I think they're just two very completely different artists, so They are. There you go. Uh I like I said, I, I do I do really like especially the close ups of the monster's face. I like the the line work. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so let's move on then. We have one other story in this magazine that's relevant to our interests. 
the rest of the stuff is just sort of filler. Um, not even particularly interesting articles. Uh, but, but we've got one other story that is relevant, and that is a prose piece written by Jerry Conway. Uh, we do have some art uh, sprinkled in here and there by Mike Plug. And uh, as with the rest of the magazine, it's edited by Roy Thomas. This is a werewolf by, nice, werewolf by Night prose story titled Panic by Moonlight. Jack Russell bumps into Coker outside his apartment, causing him to drop his books and papers. Averting a fight with the help of Clary, Jack helps pick up Coker's books, including Origins of the Supernatural, leading Jack to muse that the two are actually more similar than they realize. Jack tries to let bygones be bygones, but Coker angrily suggests that Jack should keep away from him. Clary invites Jack to dinner, but Jack declines, lying that he has plans to meet with his sister in Santa Monica. On the first night of the full moon, Jack is about to lock his apartment and head for a remote stretch of beach when he hears a motorcycle gang outside the building. Before Jack can do anything, they ride away. Jack resumes his plan to spend the night on the beach, just in time to transform into the werewolf. The wolf, unhappy with its surroundings, seeks the forest, but is distracted by the sound of a woman's scream. It follows the sound, and Jack's memory fades at the sound of a second scream. Jack awakens just after dawn, lying against a tree covered in twigs and dirt. He vaguely remembers killing something, but not much else, and he walks back to his apartment. He arrives only to find that the bikers have returned. They attack him, and Jack tries to fight back. Outnumbered, they knock Jack out, and he wakes up in the lobby with Clary and her roommate Sam. They fill Jack in on what happened. The bikers came back around midnight and cut the phone lines to the building. Also, Coker seems to have disappeared. The girls ask what will happen next, and Jack muses that only one thing is certain. If the bikers are still there when night falls, the werewolf won't care that it's outnumbered. So, um, we didn't know this is a prose piece when we decided to cover it on the show, but... Right, right. I really enjoyed it. It's the best prose piece we've gotten so far. Easily. It's much better than Dracula robs a blood bank. For sure, for sure. Um, and, and also better than the, the other vampire prose piece, like the, the one that was in, what, Maine or whatever, that felt like a Stephen King knockoff? Yes. Um, so, so this is, this is actually pretty good. Um, and, and part of why it's pretty good is it, it actually feels like it's part of the continuity of Werewolf Solo Book. It does. It does. The, the type, the continuity is pretty tight here. Uh, like, like it... Every all of the characters in this that are from his book behave the way they would in his book. Yeah, and that's good. Well, it's Jerry Conway writing, so at least you know it's somebody who has experience with the character. He well, he co-created the very true, but very true. It doesn't. You're right. It doesn't feel like somebody's like, okay, uh, uh, we want you to write this werewolf by night story. Here's some issues of the comic. Go to town. Somebody who definitely at least has somewhat of an investment in the character. Right. Every- or, or alternately, we want you to do a werewolf story, but don't use any of the other characters because we don't want to contradict what's happening in the solo book. Because it feels like sometimes that's what the Dracula stories are, are like, use Dracula, but don't use anyone else from his book because we don't want to, like, confuse the continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, in Dracula Lives, we've never gotten, like, a Dracula versus young Quincy Harker. Even though that's totally a thing that that magazine ought to be doing. It should. You're right. It should be. That, mm. 
Dra- I guess that'd be Dracula in the 1930s? Yeah, probably. 30s, 40s. Oh. We've gotten Dracula versus Nazis. We have. But, but like, there's there's this sort of, like, modern but older era that they could play with and bring in different versions of characters we already know, uh, either in prose or in comics. And that's something they've they've avoided for some reason. Whereas, like I say, this story with Werewolf, like... Jack Russell feels like the Jack Russell of the comics. The other characters from the apartment building, even though they're not my favorite characters, no. like they are by far my least favorites of his supporting cast, they all very much are the characters from the comic. We'll, we'll point out here that uh, Topaz does not get mentioned once in this story. This is true. Despite yeah, she has been completely forgotten. Despite the fact that, you know, he's got women basically throwing themselves at him yet again. Yep. You know, and we have the benefit of, you know, having access to eternal monologue here because, you know, it's it's prose where he could be like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. my girlfriend Topaz is over in India. Nope, not talking about Topaz. He's just concerned because it's almost full moon. Yep, yep, just, okay, man. Do you. Worst boyfriend I mean, ever. In, in, enjoy that swinging singles apartment life. Yep. <sighs> but... but- but yeah, it's it's a it's an okay story. I'm I, I think the next installment will be more action packed in that we're we're going to I think next installment will be werewolf versus bikers. Okay, let's talk about the the, the bikers plot for a second. Yeah. On the one hand, what the hell? They just picked this building to <laughs> to knock over, and the improbability that they're just like taking over an apartment building. But on the other hand, bikers versus werewolf in an apartment building in the middle of the night, I would watch that movie. Yeah, like like The Raid, except it's a werewolf working his way through floors of bikers. Yes! Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, yeah, no, it's fun. It's it's good. It's There's less to talk about because it's all prose, I think. But but it is good. Like if if they're gonna keep doing the pros stuff, they should do more like this. But but I think that pretty much wraps up the the magazine. The rest is again reprints and less interesting stories. Um, but we'll get the continuation of that werewolf story in the next Monsters Unleashed, and presumably we'll start that supposedly shockingly new direction for Frankenstein. <laughs> Um, you, you probably can't hear it through the the medium of podcasting, but I was I was making very sarcastic uh, motions as I said that it would be shocking or surprising. <laughs> oh, so so yeah, I guess that does it for Monsters Unleashed. Um, yeah, uh, let's take a break and uh, we can talk about a uh, another werewolf story. All right, we'll be right back with Werewolf by Night, number 18, right after this message. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder. And danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. 
the one who speaks for them, let them eat their bread and drink their wine and in the night benign sleep. Don't miss the most unusual and exciting horror motorcycle film yet made. I come to offer you youth and fresh, fresh blood. Hey, we all know how we're going to die, baby. We're going to crash and burn. <laughs> Werewolves on Wheels, starring Steve Oliver and Severn Darden. The story of a motorcycle gang who ride into a new kind of hell. They ride wild, play hard, and fight brutal. I write your unholy name thrice in blood. <laughs> Werewolves on Wheels, the most eerie, the most chilling, the most terrifying motorcycle horror film ever made. Their survival was the torch, as one by one they became terrifying, bloodthirsty werewolves on wheels. Don't miss the first horror motorcycle film ever made, Werewolves on Wheels. Welcome back to Move Ideas. Uh, we're continuing with our coverage of Devil Werewolves with Werewolf by Night number 18. Cover date on this one is June 1974. Writer is Mike Friedrich. Artist is Don Perlin. Inker is Mike Royer. Letterer is Tom Orzachowski. Colorist is Linda Lessman. Editor is Roy Thomas. And the title of this tale is Murder by Midnight. Uh, credit where credit is due. I did take the summary from the Marvel Fandom Wiki. And here we go. Lieutenant Hackett's questioning of Jack is interrupted by Ma Mayhem, another agent of the committee, who knocks out Hackett and attacks Jack just as he turns into the werewolf. Their fight crashes through the wall of Jack's reclusive neighbor, Ray Coker, whose meditation is disrupted, revealing he suffers from the werewolf curse as well. As the two werewolves fight off into the woods for the rest of the night, Ma Mayhem notices Liza among the terrified onlookers and seizes the moment to kidnap her. Jack returns to his apartment next morning to find the committee's ransom note. So this is a fun one. It's weird, but it's fun. It's weird. So apparently Coker's dark secret is that he's a werewolf too. But that he has like meditated himself into having control over the werewolf, at least partially. Yes, like he is able to stop the change by, I guess, meditation. And he also is able to speak yes. as the werewolf. Yes. Um, although, I, I, we're assuming that Coker is the werewolf. To be fair, there's a chance he might not be. Because when we see him in human form earlier in the story, he's wearing purple trunks. And right. the werewolf is wearing yellow trunks. Right. And, and it's we don't see the transformation. We see him get knocked off panel. And then... The werewolf emerges like the next page. Yes, um, but it's a really great two-page spread when the second werewolf shows up. Yes, you have violated my sanctuary. You must then die. So, so it's either Coker or it is someone that's like secretly living with Coker or something. Yes. Um. So. 
Which, um, uh, do, do you want me to, like, reveal whether he is or not? Because I no. can. Okay, I will not. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so there is some doubt there just in that he gets knocked off panel, but then a werewolf emerges. Um, and werewolf versus werewolf is a fun set piece. Like, that's that's just a good direction for this book to go. Yeah. Again, I wasn't um, expecting I w- it to be Coger, though. I mean, I was expecting Liza. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it seems like we're still headed that direction, maybe. Yes, because the committee is kidnapping her with the expectation that she will become a werewolf. At some point. Um, I, I'm not as crazy about keeping Jack in the dark. Because we as readers at least can reasonably assume that the werewolf is either Coker or someone related to Coker. Um, Jack doesn't seem to have even put those pieces together. Again, Jack Russell is the stupidest protagonist alive. <laughs> well, and to be fair, like to be fair, that hap- to be fair, that happens when uh he's the werewolf. The other werewolf shows up. So so like it I can see his memory being a little fuzzy of that moment. But it it's still I don't like it when we as readers feel like we're a lot smarter than the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> a lot smarter. Oh. Uh, also, um, it's not in the the uh, fandom summary, but the I, I like the the opening to this this issue because it does like the the old hammer horror thing of starting with a flashback to like a previous instance of the the curse manifesting. So so we get that flashback of uh, of. Uh, what's his name? Baron Baron Rusoff. Uh, and and then we sort of transition from that to to Jack being questioned. Yeah, um, I didn't include it in the summary because it just didn't have any purpose in the story. <laughs> well, no, it, it's totally a mood piece. Like it, it, all it does is just sort of like create a certain mood and tone. Um, and, and I guess also sort of. It almost works not really as a recap, but as a sense of this is all the stuff that he's not telling Hackett right now. Yes, and it it puts in a death. Because mm-hmm. otherwise this would be a pretty bloodless story. Right. Despite right. the axe murderers showing up and things like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, now that I remember it, uh, didn't he mention he, he might have killed something in the prose piece as well? Yes, he did. Uh, it, when he turns into the werewolf, um, he when he wakes up, he remembers having killed something, and he hopes it's not a person. Yes, which I wonder if that'll come back. But here, it's it's to make us think, <gasps> did Jack kill this lady? And it turns out, of course, it's right. not Jack. It's it's like one of those openings where Spider-Man gets killed in the beginning, and it turns out it's just a, a dummy that somebody's right. using. right. Yeah, the old the old uh, fake robot Spider-Man trick or whatever. Uh, uh, my first thought was fake James Bond. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't remember which movie that's in. Um, that one uh, from Russia with Love does it. Yeah, I was thinking from Russia from Russia with, from Russia with Love. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So there's also there's also Man with a Golden Gun where Christopher Lee is like shooting the uh, like, like there's the whole opening sequence with him going through the elaborate like game of death or whatever. Um, it's that kind of fake out opening you're like have our heroes died right Um, Baron Thunder still kind of sucks oh Baron Thunder really sucks like he's a lame wannabe kingpin yeah 
Like I think like with, with the with the whole like he's big, but it's all muscle and strength thing. Yes, which okay, dude. Uh, but but that that section of the comic is also almost like the opening scene, almost entirely pointless. Oh yeah, like like there's like there's like a page where the comic is like, oh by the way, the committee still exists and Baron Thunder is still their leader for some reason. Right. It's just, the the image I can't also it doesn't help that Baron Thunder is basically like a looks like a pinhead kind of character. Mm-hmm. Just Baron Thunder is like the lamest villain. And apparently he's the head of the committee we've had this whole time. Oh, yep. speaking of being lame, the committee has the lamest members ever, including <laughs> Ma Mayhem, yeah. who we've not touched who is, on. Who is supposedly a witch, but like all of her attacks have nothing to do with witchcraft. No, she uses an axe. She uses yep. silver, silver powder. Dust. Silver dust, yeah. And she uses a silver-coated whip. Right, which... I mean that—that's anybody could do that. Yes. Uh, and then, and then even at the end, like when she uh, uh, when she kidnaps Liza, it's it's sleeping gas. It's not even like a hypnotic spell or anything. So I wonder if the artist here just like axe murder lady, and then Friedrich came in later and it's like, um, let's call her a witch. Right. Well, because because her initial appearance. Like, with the wild hair and everything. Like, I could see where you could maybe make the jump to witch. Yes. But it seems like she's just more of, like, like a special operative or something. Yes. Like an assassin. Yes. Who also happens to be the sweet-looking old lady. Right. Right. It's just, just lame. We've seen this trick uh, before. It's just... Right. In fact, we, we referenced last time when we talked about how we're going to cover this, the Batman 1966 villain. Mm-hmm. Who? Yeah, is almost exactly this, except instead of like being an assassin, she's a mobster. Right, right. And it, you know, I I started this off saying I liked this issue. I think what actually is the case, I like the first few pages and the second half of this issue. <laughs> like I like the parts where there are werewolves. Yes, basically. <laughs> you came to werewolf uh, tonight wanting werewolves, and there you go. You got um, double also, werewolves. Yeah. Uh, something tells me that Hackett's uh, silver bullets aren't exactly standard police issue. No. Which, we can see where this is going. He's going to think that Coker mm. is the werewolf he's been tracking this whole time. and Although now he knows there's two. Yeah, but, okay, yeah, you're right. Crap, that doesn't give Jack an out. Um, but he also he, thinks that Jack he actually, is to him. He also, he thinks Jack knocked him out, yeah. Yes. Because by the time he comes to... Ma Mayhem is gone. Yeah. And he didn't see Ma Mayhem at all. Well, he saw a cleaning right. lady, but he didn't see the axe. Her, the axe, yeah. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, the, the art's fun. Uh, it, it's not Plug, but Perlin is fine. Um, the action is not quite as dynamic as you want it to be. Like, there are a couple of good moments. Um, like, there, there's a page, I think it's page 22, where the two werewolves just sort of slam into each other mid-fight. That looks really cool. Although we do get, I think it's a random Plug page in here. Mm. Or it's not Plug. It's not Plug, but just... Oh, yeah, the, the I hope you make a change for the best. Yes. Where it's just like... That's the, that's a really cool page, though. It's a cool page. It's from last issue. But wh- yeah. why the hell is it here? I have no idea. The only thing I could think is they're making a page count. Yeah. Well, they're a page short. Uh, they mentioned that the soapbox... Uh, 
the or the rather the the bullpen bonus page or whatever is not in this issue. So I think they were short a page. Okay. They didn't have their bullpen page. But if that's the case, why not put in ad copy? Huh? Like we've got ad copy here. We've got an ad a one page house ad for Doctor Strange, The Haunt of Horrors, yep. and yep. then a shared ad for Dracula's and Vampire Tales. Yeah. There's also a page uh for um Crazy and Savage Tales. Is there a page for Crazy? Yeah. I I I I've 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 learned well, to it, just ignore well, Crazy. Well, it's a half page. Uh, well, it, it's a half-page advertising both Crazy and Conan in Savage Tales. Okay, I guess I've just gotten so used to ignoring, <laughs> ignoring Crazy. <laughs> well, they've, they've been hyping that same Shaft parody for how long now? Months. Like, yeah. I feel like we it's been half a year. Mm-hmm. So, it has um, to be, like, also, quarterly or something. Yeah. Also, I, I know that the other werewolf is supposed to have black fur because, of course, he does. Um, but because of the way black tends to get tends to get colored in comics, he looks an awful lot like Beast. <laughs> yes. Somebody mentioned um, it was in Monsters Unleashed. If Beast could start showing up in Monsters Unleashed, because he, he, they feel like I he, saw that they feel like he'd be a good fit, and they're like, no, no. I, I would, I would, I would be more excited to read these Monsters Unleashed magazines if there was at least a short beast story in each one <laughs> yep especially this era of beast because this era of beast is fun where he's working for rocks and chemicals yeah yeah or brand i think it's brand yep yeah he, he's working for some shady chemical company and right. that's how he gets is... his winning uh head of hair right and sort of leads into him becoming an avenger and stuff yeah eventually and bringing hellcat with him Yep, um, but yeah, it's like I say the the fight scene that takes up most of the second half of the issue is the best part of the issue. Definitely, along with the promise that one way or another we're actually going to pay off this subplot with Coker. Finally, again, I really wasn't expecting Coker to be a werewolf. No, no, I I figured something involving like researching satanic stuff or like something tangentially related. Yeah. Um, but, but I didn't expect it to be quite so on the nose. And remember folks, if your werewolf's nose is, uh, dry, you may want to take them to the vet. (laughs) Uh, Mix some antibiotics into its eyes. Yeah. So I think this may do it for a very special Thanksgiving (laughs) edition of Tomb of Ideas. Right. And, and... This, as with every episode, um, especially this time, we are thankful that you are listening um, and that you're downloading and that we we would be especially thankful if you would please uh, rate and review the podcast on whichever uh, service you get it from, whether you're on iTunes or, or wherever else. Rate and review. It helps us with the algorithms. We'd also be thankful, of course, if you send us some feedback. We can reach us at our email address. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter. It's at tombofideas. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas. And you know... That's right. I'm especially thankful for our loved ones this time of year. And who do we love more except the fine folks at Cinepunks? Trey, tell them about Cinepunks. 
Yeah, we are a proud member of the Cinepunks podcast group, where uh, we're sort of a collective of assorted podcasts that cover all kinds of topics. You've got Black Sun Dispatches, you've got Cinema Smorgasbord, you've got Horror Business, um, Weird Obscure and Possibly Unsafe, uh, all kinds of great shows out there to check out, uh, along with our entire back catalog at Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X. Cinepunks.com. You'll also find all kinds of uh, articles and prose pieces there. Um, so be sure to check out the website. Uh, give our uh, fellow shows a listen. Try them out. Um, I'm sure they would appreciate it, too. The, the sickest John to come out of Philadelphia since Gritty. <laughs> Did I do that right? That, 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 that is an appropriate use of John. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. I'm from Philly now. <laughs> Gonna eat some cheese sticks. <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, what do we have next time? Next time on the Tomb of Ideas, we'll be looking at Tomb of Dracula number twenty-one and Giant Size Chillers number one, featuring Dracula and Lilith. Ooh, so we're going from double werewolves to double Draculas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Double Draculas. Very cool. So tune in next time for that. And until then, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Try the mashed potatoes. Bye. Ooh, we have mashed potatoes? No, but they look like mashed potatoes. Oh. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tumblers Excelsior! <laughs>